Greetings to all of you this morning. It's a pleasure for me to be back here again. Been a while. And uh, appreciate to uh, have that opportunity to interact with you brothers from time to time and uh, keep our connection that we've had for many years. So we appreciate that. Well, just uh have to admit, yesterday, uh, with the uh, arrest of the uh, kidnapper in uh, Lancaster County there, in connection with the abduction and kidnapping of Linda Stolzfus, I my mind was uh, taken in by that very much, uh, uh, knowing a bit of the... Uh, Linda would have been a, a, uh, uh, my sister-in-law was a great aunt to her. And, uh, knowing the area and growing up not far from there, of course, it's something that was heavy on her heart. But just, uh, a little bit of an overview on that, that these boys, uh, two boys were picked up as homeless boys at seven years of age was uh, the young man, Usto, uh, and are adopted into a Mennonite family when, they were se- when he was seven. And a uh, uh, little Spanish boy living on the streets of one of the cities around here. I assume it probably would have been Lancaster, but I don't have that verified yet. But... Uh, they were taken into a Mennonite home and brought up in a Mennonite church. But uh, used to especially was deep troublemaker through the years. Uh, went to Peckway Valley High School there and uh, was on the wrestling team and so on. But got into trouble. He's 34 years of age and uh, did a lot of armed robberies with a BB gun. And uh, the judge uh, had enough reason to put him away for 20 or 30 years in February. But the parents uh, pled for his one more chance, and the judge, uh, Maidensprocher, uh, yielded to that and released him. And here we are today with a major, major crime on his hands. It's so well documented that that there's not much question as to whether he's guilty or not, even though we want to presume him innocent until the final trial. But uh, her clothing were found buried uh, there in the area close to intercourse, about under four to six inches of dirt. And and he did admit that uh, they arrested him Friday night, and he did admit that he was in the area of the abduction, which they had tracked him with his cell phone, that he would have been there in that area, and he admitted he was. And also, people did see her sitting in the car with him, numerous witnesses, and waved at them, and she didn't wave back. Uh, uh, in that, that day on Sunday when she was abducted, walking along the road, going home from church. And so 
uh, I think they might have had seven witnesses of people who would have seen her in the car. So here we are, heartbroken at what appears to be a very wicked, wicked deed again, as we did in New Mexico uh, some months back. And uh, reminds me of the days of Noah when violence fills the earth. And here we are with it ever increasing and coming closer to the plain community uh, again and again. All right, uh, a few weeks ago, we had, we had a uh, men and boys retreat uh, up in Nevin, Pennsylvania. And the, uh, the theme of that uh, retreat for the boys was Malachi 4, um, 5, that, uh, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, as a number of you remember very clearly, that that verse was a very uh, strong uh, theme in Brother Denny Kennison's life when he uh, tried to be proactive on the reality of that verse and never talked much about uh, the fulfillment of that prophecy, but rather tried to be proactive in the, especially the late 80s and throughout the 90s to awaken the hearts of the fathers that they turn their hearts to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I smite, come and smite the earth with a curse. Perhaps what I just related uh, in the story of Linda Stolstreet is again an indication of the curse that has come upon uh, the youth of our day because of uh, lack of discipline. And, and I realize when you only get children at seven years of age that that is uh, extremely difficult trying to give them an opportunity for a better life. But here we have the curse and what we see what happened in Minneapolis and Seattle and uh, Baltimore and New York and numerous places here in the last uh, six weeks or month or whatever we have now with all the rioting and things going on. We have the evidence of the curse that has come upon America and parts of the industrialized world, as we understand some of these riots are going on in in uh, uh, England and Germany and other places of the world also. So, that brings me to the, the theme or title of my message. I uh, heard a few whisperings this morning already when I came here that... Uh, that I might be speaking on a subject like this, and so I don't want to disappoint you. Even though I debated quite a while, a few, uh, my last message before this one, at home I preached on the Sermon on the Mount, on the straight and broad way and the narrow way, and I debated uh, 
uh, whether I wanted to speak on that subject, which I enjoyed a lot also to uh, just uh, take a good look at the uh, uh, the narrow way. And, and the emphasis of that message I would just share with you that there is both a gate and a way, not just a gate. And so I don't want anyone to put the attention of their life just to enter the straight gate, but also to walk the narrow way, which is all the way. And I use the analogy there of the uh, Pilgrim's Progress on Pilgrim uh, a few times in my message on how he walked that way and all the roads that led off and tried to distract him from his goal to the celestial city. So I, uh, I encourage all of you to walk the straight and narrow way and, uh, and to do so on purpose. So that brings me to this scripture uh, in uh, Malachi uh, and, uh, uh, concerning uh, Elijah the prophet. And I, I uh, <coughs> uh, like to ask you this question, which I had asked myself a bit, is to how much in our lives as a Christian did do we ever think about looking for Elijah the prophet to come back again. And so I ask you that. I don't think I ever heard a message on that, that uh, uh, somehow, and I'll go over some of these scriptures that uh, show the validity of that in the New Testament, that Elijah the prophet needs to come back again before the great and notable day of the Lord. Now that, that I hope I don't do damage to your uh, your theology here this morning. I hope you have enough of grace to let me share my heart here, and I certainly uh, am am open uh, to some added thoughts along the way. But what we have here is a concept that Elijah the prophet would come back again at some future day, and. Uh, and another one with him I am going to propose to you. So that brings us to to uh, uh, Revelation chapter 11. I don't want to lengthen my introduction here too long, lest I won't get said what I want to say. But uh, when we think of the book of Revelation... And uh, and some of the things that are taught there, and I would like to emphasize to you this morning that the book of Revelation has a lot of very, very serious doom and gloom in it. But I'd also like to introduce to you this morning that there is some very, very good news in the book of Revelation for us in our day. In fact, uh, the whole the strongest concept of the over, being an overcomer comes out of the book of Revelation in chapter 2 and 3. And it's very, very necessary. Not only that, but then also scattered throughout the, uh, the other. Also, a few weeks, some weeks ago, I preached a message on the 144,000 um, in chapter 12, I believe it is. Yes. And uh, so I'm taking bits and pieces of the book and looking at some of the positive things, not just the destruction and the wrath of God being poured out, which everyone must come to reality with, 
and have that in your heart and know that that uh, which is prophesied will surely come to pass. I, of course, for one, as you may know already, that I'm a literalist when it comes to the book of Revelation. So I do expect a literal fulfillment in all those things to come to pass. And that is why I believe the same for the two witnesses in chapter 11. But here again is good news. That here is the story or the account or the prophecy that two witnesses would show up on the face of the earth before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, for some, they believe the church will be raptured out uh, before these men appear. I do not quite see it that way, but uh, rather believe that there's a possibility that we may hear or know or hopefully even meet these men uh, at some point. That's maybe a bit of a stretch for you, but uh, uh, hear me out. Let us read in uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles in the holy city, and they shall tread underfoot forty, the city, of course, forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. I think I'll just stop there a little bit and interject something. I don't know how many of you realize that for, I don't know, three thousand plus years, the Jewish practice from the Exodus in Egypt, in the establishment of the Passover meal, that it is a fact to this day that when they eat the Passover meal, they set a plate for the prophet Elijah and uh, silverware and what have you. So there's always an empty chair at their table in the Passover meal waiting because they have this prophecy in their knowledge and in their hearts that at some point Elijah the prophet's going to show up and we want to make sure we have place for him should he come to our house. Uh, so that is going on to this day. You can very easily uh, research that and find out how that that is. Uh, there's something else I was going to say uh, about that. But anyway... That's how the Jewish Passover is held today because they believe that Elijah the prophet is going to come back again. Now, um, verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks. So I should, yeah, two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, and it, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they will have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. 
And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, which uh, also our Lord was crucified, which uh, I take that has to be Jerusalem, uh, even though I, I don't know of any other references that call Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt, but uh, I'll have to let that for deeper uh, conversation and study. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell in the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. After three days and a half, The spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And I think I'll stop at that time. If I have extra time, I may finish it a bit, but it's uh, kind of a change of subject there. Two witnesses. Well, Like I say, God is interested in witnesses, and one of the bright spots to me is the great mercy of God in having witnesses during these troubled times. It uh, is an inspiration to me at the end time in which we're living, the importance of being a proper witness uh, uh, as a church here at this time yet. Uh, Now, I know the church is dying And the witness of the church is dying. And around the world, if you should look at what is called the church, the buildings are emptying out. Uh, Some of them are being turned into Europe in the mosques for the Muslims or Islam. And uh, others are being sold off all across the United States. Or other than that, just closed up and boarded up and locked up and are not active anymore. That is the state of the word called church. Now, I believe in the remnant of God's people, as uh, I'm sure you do too, and therefore we believe in the church today and believe that the church should continue to be a witness as long as it's here. But the great mercy of God to me is the fact that God does want a witness all the way through all the happenings of the book of Revelation unto the end. Um, three of them stand out to me, and that would be uh, four, actually. That would be the seven churches of Asia and the witness that we have there the witness that the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be while it's on earth. The next one, we have the 144,000 that will be saved from out of uh, uh, the Jewish nation, and they will be witnesses and will, as I believe, preach the gospel in the Mideast and maybe in other parts of the world. 
And then we have an angel in chapter 14 flying through the midst of heaven, preaching the everlasting gospel out in every kindred, tribe, and nation. And that really excites me. Uh, I remember a uh, man, very mission-minded, once said to me, Oh, you mean they're going to do it that we don't have to? Well, no, the people who are living today and are dying today, they, of course, need the gospel to be translated into their language and be witnessed to and preached to, just like we have for 2,000 years. So we don't wait on the angel, but look at the mercy of God that in the end times an angel will fly through the midst of heaven and preach the gospel of the kingdom in a language that can be understood in the backwoods of the Amazon jungle or Papua New Guinea or Africa or wherever of people who have never heard. And you know that the gospel must be preached before the end comes. And that is uh, verified in Matthew 24 and other places too by our Lord Jesus. So, But it is very exciting to me how God will initiate various groups of witnesses. And these two men here are the fourth one also that will be here for 42 months or three and a half years. And they will have a powerful witnesses. They are called the two witnesses or the two olive branches or the two candlesticks in Zechariah, where the prophecy is given about them. So going over this just a little bit in the first two verses, I want to establish the fact that the temple apparently must be rebuilt. Because here there was given a reed unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. Well, let me underscore that with the fact in Second Thessalonians 2, we have a man of sin will come and sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So we believe this is the Jewish temple, which great plans are being made. In fact, I think virtually all the furniture is already manufactured and, and actually can be viewed in a building, I think, by tourists. Uh, just to show that everything is prepared for the temple being built. But, of course, the theory is that the Dome of the Rock is occupied by an Islamic mosque, uh, and uh, and therefore the temple cannot be rebuilt. But there's a lot of uh, propaganda right now that perhaps that isn't quite the right spot, and then maybe the temple could be built somewhere up there alongside or whatever. I have to wonder quite a bit myself whether at some time in the near future the temple would be rebuilt and the Antichrist or the ecumenical movement would just simply make it a place of worship for all religions and have the the mosque there and the temples there and whatever else they may set up for other religions. And so I don't know how that will be. But I do believe the temple will be rebuilt. And uh, uh, recently I just read in the last couple of weeks that they have that thing so down pat that it could probably be built in one year's time. They have it so... Uh, architectured and so designed and drawn up 
that uh, it wouldn't take long at all for it to be cut out. And some people think that it's maybe even being prepared uh, already at this time. But I have no direct evidence of that, so I will let that. But they're saying it could be set up in a very short order. So we have a measuring of the temple. Now we also have the fact here that the temple, without the temple, leave out and measure it not. In verse 2, for it is given unto the Gentiles, the holy city shall they tread on their foot for three and a half years or forty and two months. Now here's how I see it. It's in simple language. Uh, the Jewish the Jewish sacrificial system will probably need to be set up. One of the reasons that I see that is that blindness is so great upon the Jewish nation that they may actually eventually being brought into their revival through the establishment of the of the of the sacrificial system and I know <laughs> many who don't see it that way think that is totally absurd because Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and the only way to salvation and why would God allow a Jewish temple to be set up and these people reenact the sacrificial system and I just want to remind you that in the last two years uh, actually a lamb was uh, killed uh, on uh, uh, in Jerusalem there with uh, the priesthood being revived, and they had about 15 or 20 priests that they have uh, lined up already for this, and they actually slit the throat and caught the blood and, and all that. But since there's no temple, they couldn't go on with the rest of the ceremony. But then this year, I think they actually slipped up and did this ceremony at the Dome of the Rock, from uh, maybe not, uh, at least somewhere up there. Uh, did it quickly and then went down and then did with the blood like they're supposed to do. But here's my thought, in uh, and this isn't original with me, but I did uh, consider it when I read it, that today the Jewish people have no sacrifice for their sin. And so they tend not even to look at their sins. So perhaps one of the paths back to accepting Messiah as the supreme sacrifice for sin would be that once again they acknowledge their sin and confess it and, 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 and make the sacrifice uh, and then later on, of course, uh, be persuaded uh, only a portion, only a remnant of them as we have in Romans chapter 11 that so all Israel shall be saved and it gives a detail of that. But, when that temple gets rebuilt and the Jewish system gets established, that temple or those people will be deceived by an Antichrist. According to Second Thessalonians 2, and an Antichrist uh, will come in and set up uh, rule in that temple deceiving the Jews and everything they will think they're being led into the sacrificial system and all that until the abomination of desolation be set up, uh, spoken of by Daniel the prophet in Matthew 24. Now, that was uh, done also in the Maccabees when, uh, uh, when uh, uh, 
Epiphanius, what's his first name, uh, Antiochus, Epiphanius uh, sacrificed a pig on the altar and, and created an abomination of desolation. But then Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the Jewish people or the people will again see the abomination of desolation set up. And I'm not here to say what that'll be. Who knows? It could be the Quran put in instead of the Torah or the, uh, the, the, the Old Testament. It could be a number of things. But the Antichrist will, through a clever deception, deceive these Jews who do not yet have the revelation of Jesus Christ in their life and set up uh, uh, an abomination of desolation. And, of course, then they are called uh, those that believe and see that and know that to flee uh, to a place where God will pre- uh, protect them for, th- uh, for three and a half years when, uh, uh, during the time when the Antichrist would seek to kill a lot of Jews and, and bring great tribulation upon the city of Jerusalem. So that's that's a little bit what I can give from the uh, the first two verses there that I believe the temple will be built. I believe there's a possibility the sacrificial system will actually be reenacted for a time and then great deception will be upon them. The abomination of desolation will be set up. And of course, uh, uh, the Gentiles will take over and rule in the city for three and a half years. There's a lot of people who think the Jews are there to stay. And they uh, they have uh, the hand of God upon them, uh, giving them great victories in their in their uh, um, difficulties they have with the the Arab nations and Islam uh, and uh, and the Palestinians and so on. But uh, I do believe they will be deceived uh, because they do not have the knowledge of the truth at this point in God. According to Zechariah 14, will bring them through the fire, and two-thirds of them will lose their lives, and only a third of them will uh, will be saved. And that's how the remnant of Israel would come back to accept the Messiah. So, he's going to give power unto these two witnesses. Now, who are they? Well, I'm going to take the time... Uh, just for your information, because it's been a great controversy throughout the years uh, by those uh, persuaded in the uh, uh, various other persuasion that John the Baptist uh, fulfilled that scripture. So let me just go through it. And it is, in the English translation, it is a bit confusing. And, uh, and I do want to uh, uh, address that just for your uh, further study. Not saying that uh, I have all the answers here. So in Malachi 4, verse 6, we have the scripture that uh, before the great and notable day of the Lord come, Elijah the prophet is going to come back uh, uh, and uh, restore all things, uh, lest the earth is smitten with a curse. And he'll turn, of course, the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now, the Jews believed that, and they made reference to it in the New Testament. Back in Isaiah, uh, chapter 40, we have, verse 3, we have a scripture that talks about 
John the Baptist, that he'll be a voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And that's what he did. When he came, he came in the spirit of Elijah, and he preached repentance to the people, and he did prepare the way of the Lord. Now, he was not Elijah, is my contention, but he came in the spirit of Elijah. Uh, and just for your information, there were others. Elisha had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. So we have Elijah, we have Elisha, who had a double portion, who went into the spirit of Elijah. We have John the Baptist coming in the New Testament time. He had the spirit of Elijah. And then we have prophecies concerning Elijah himself, yet showing up in the end times and... Uh, here again, I uh, I take that literally and believe that he will show up himself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And in verse 11, uh, verse 14, and if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. Uh, let me stop right there. Uh, many people, including ourselves, uh, may I say, benefit much if we have our Elijah. And it's not right for us just to look forward to someday in the future Elijah would come, but all people need to have a prophet of God in their lives, so to speak, and for the Spirit of God to work in our hearts to prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, that has all kind of stories in this room, I'm sure, and in my life also. But there's numerous things that happen in life that God, in His uh, mercy, uh, allowed me to hear the gospel or uh, certain influences came into my life that prepared the way of the Lord in my heart. And so... It wasn't right just to tell the New Testament saints, wait on Elijah, which would at least be another uh, 2,000 years. But they needed their Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord and turn their hearts of the fathers to the children and the children of the fathers, lest the earth would be smitten with a curse. And John the Baptist was their Elijah, and the only one they had. They never got to see the, the uh, Romans chapter, uh, 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 Revelation chapter 11, written or fulfilled. And so he, we have the statement, if you will receive it, if you can uh, take it for your age and where you live, you had your Elijah. And it was John the Baptist, referring to John the Baptist. Then in Matthew 17, verse 10, his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes, that Elias must first come, and I think this is right after the uh, transfiguration on the mount. And Jesus answered and said unto them, and here's the word, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. So we have the Lord Jesus. John the Baptist is off the scene. He has done his work. He's beheaded. Uh, or at least in prison, but I assume by this time he's already beheaded, if there's any chronology to my understanding of this. The Jews are still saying Elias is going to come back. 
bring the question to Jesus through the disciples, and he reaffirms the fact that Elijah must first come. Okay. In verse 11, verse 12, but he says, I say unto you that Elias is come already, referring to John the Baptist, and maybe even Elisha and others, and they knew him not, and have done unto him whatsoever they listed, likewise also shall the Son of Man suffer many things. So he told them, for your generation, your Elijah did come. And that was John the Baptist, and I, I see that as a clear, except that as a fulfillment of that. But then in Luke... Uh, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 13, the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, which he did that by the preaching of repentance. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then over in John, we have the final clincher for me. They ask him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he said, this is John the Baptist. They ask him point blank, art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. So John the Baptist verified here very clearly in the scripture that he was not Elijah. And he did not fulfill that to the fullest. There was a partial fulfillment in that he came in the spirit of Elijah and prepared the way of the Lord uh, just ahead of Jesus' ministry. And he did that. But when he asked him, Art thou Elias? He said, I am not. And so that that kind of uh, uh, satisfies me concerning the... uh, the uh, those that claim that John the Baptist was the only Elijah that uh, that would come. All right, now we have these two witnesses, and this is um, this is just incredible to me. Uh, who the other one is? Some think, of course, that it would be Enoch because he never died a natural death. But because of the plagues that they bring with them, and because of the Mount of Transfiguration, I would lean more on it being Moses and Elijah. There are many types and shadows we could talk here about concerning Egypt and its exodus to the church, and its exodus and the plagues being poured out in Revelation. Moses and Aaron were the witnesses in that day uh, to Pharaoh and to his cabinet or whoever else there. They were that challenge to him concerning God and the witness of God. And, of course, he hardened his heart 
even though he saw the miracles which they did and experienced them, and he even had his magicians do three of them out of the ten, and then they were powerless to do the others. So it shows the height of Satan's power in that day, and it shows how God overcame it with a much greater power and actually brought destruction to Pharaoh's army. Well, you have that reiterated and refilled again in the book of Revelation when you have the Antichrist with his miracle-working powers and magicians and the false prophet calling fire down from heaven in broad daylight and so on to try to deceive the people and deceiving many of them by the miracles which they're able to do in the sight of men. But then you have uh, these two witnesses and others which will do what they are going to do, which will be a testimony to the Antichrist kingdom in Jerusalem and around Judea at that time and perhaps other parts of the world. I expect these men to have glorified bodies like Jesus did, being resurrected in that way and are be able to travel at will anywhere they want to. And uh, that, that's how I, I picture it. But anyway, we have these two witnesses showing up. And the reason that I would see them to still show up in our day is because of the fact that they will, Jesus said that they must come before the great and notable day of the Lord. And also, if they're supposed to restore all things and try to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, that's a preliminary work to the end. And so, even though I know they will, uh, according to the scripture, if, I, if we dare take it literally, that they will preach and teach for two, uh, three and a half years, uh, and not knowing personally, not knowing exactly when the church will be called home, I'm not a strong uh, pre-tribulation uh, of persuasion rather than... Uh, somewhere later on before the wrath of God is poured out would be my persuasion. So I would consider it a possibility that we could meet these men. And uh, <laughs> to me, that's pretty exciting. I don't know if we can get him to preach an effort of some time or not when they come, but uh, I'd sure love to hear them. Uh, you know, when they come and hear their message of what they will tell us uh, how to prepare just for the coming of the Lord. Now these men are going to be strange looking men. They'll be, uh, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be clothed in sackcloth. They'll probably be dressed in black as I would see it and they will preach, uh, the repentance to these fathers who aren't, uh, uh, living with their sons and, and, and bringing so many illegitimate children into the world without being a father to them, which is a major problem in our society today. But can you imagine that these men, for three and a half years, will be able to go around and preach this message to the people? And you know the situation among Islam, who has multiple wives and polygamy, and brings many sons into the world, but they're not fathers to them. They let the mothers each take care of them, you know. And it's just, uh, it's very chaotic. If you read some of the 
the real stories uh, of how that goes with uh, a polygamous society. But anyway, I see these two men coming and how much they'll travel around the world and whether we'll ever see them in that, where we're at at that time, I don't know. I'm just doing a little speculating that I know the message they're going to have. And I would want to say I'd love to hear that message and believe it's one uh, that I thank God we can hear it already. I thank God for men like Brother Denny and others who brought that to us um, in, in, in 20 years ago or more. But uh, I'm also of the persuasion that these two men, whoever they are, one of them being Elijah at least and the other one not being named, will come uh, clothed in sackcloth and are going to preach this message. And then he says, these are the two olive trees, the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And uh, so they will be witnesses. They will represent the church is losing its power. The church is losing its strength to a great disappointment as we see the apostasy just going rampant in our day. And we know that, and even today, uh, you know, there's a man went out on the streets there in uh, in Seattle, Washington uh, uh, a week or two ago. And he went out like some of these Baptists are. They were very bold to go right into the thick of things like that, you know, and witness and try to tell the people they're wrong, the Black Lives Matter people and all that. They beat that guy up so bad, you know, and it was just pathetic. And, and around the country, they're making this thing illegal. And uh, it's very difficult to pass out tracts. People hardly take them. Uh, or they get angry and upset, and especially if you do preaching and and uh, on the university campuses and places like that, they're getting vicious and all that. But I thank God for this whole picture of these two men, because nobody is going to hurt them. Nobody's going to be able to do anything for three and a half years. They, with supernatural ability, being brought back from heaven or from the presence of God, in order to do this great work, is going to be able to witness and testify and tell these people where they're wrong. And if anybody will dare to try to hurt them, fire will come out of their mouth and consume them on the spot. Now, you go back to Minneapolis and Seattle and New York, and you have two men like that showing up, and uh, and not being able to be touched, I think that is a powerful witness that is coming on the earth in that day. And I rejoice over these men coming and doing this thing. And uh, when we will be limited, and and one of the reasons we may never see it is because we do believe, according to the book of Revelation, that um, the Antichrist will be given the power to kill us and destroy us. That's one of the dark days of the book of Revelation. Um, uh, he will seek to, to, to kill us and to overcome them, and it shall be given under his hand for three and a half years. So it could be that many of us will have died for our faith and will never see this, and the power of the witness of the church would be so diminished by that, even though the rapture may not have taken place yet per se, but the true church would be greatly diminished by the wrath of the Antichrist. 
But anyway, to see these two men move around in the Mideast under the Palestinians and Islamic nations and in Syria and Iran, Iraq and Lebanon and Yemen and all these places where there is so little knowledge of the true gospel and they will preach it and nobody is able to stop them or uh, their witness. They, they, they won't be able to touch them for three and a half years. Yes, think of North Korea. They could go into North Korea and especially, in, you know, just uh, places that are closed off and where we're seeing it coming here. You know, uh, the beginning of sorrows where it's becoming illegal to preach the gospel or to, uh, they are saying uh, right now uh, in certain uh, parts uh, of Israel, even in other places, just to Publish the name Jesus would bring a great reaction from the people just to have a sign with the name Jesus Christ on it, uh, uh, the only begotten Son of God. If you go to the Islamic countries, the 1040 window with its countless millions, and you would say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, you may not get out of, out of there alive. That's where we're at. And so to need these two men to be able to go to those very hot spots and preach the gospel. But just think of the mercy of God. Isn't God good that he would give them that opportunity to change their minds and see the miracles which they do? I mean, these are powerful men. They don't agree. They try to persecute them. Fire comes out of their mouth. They, they can stop heaven. And this is where we see the miracles being so close to Moses and Elijah. Elijah stopped heaven and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He's going to be able to again stop heaven that it doesn't rain for three and a half years in the days of his ministry. They're going to be able to smite the earth with all plagues. They're going to turn rivers of water into blood. They're going to spoil the drinking water. They're going to do all kinds of things if they get into a nation that absolutely doesn't want to hear anything about Jesus Christ. They can just do that as often as they will. For three and a half years, God will give them. I just think it's it's an amazing thing. But when they shall have finished their testimony, when God will finally say, okay, you've done it, you've done enough, you've represented me, in all, in many needy spots, and I don't know when this corresponds with the angel flying through the midst of heaven, preaching the gospel, but at some point, the whole thing will be finished. And God will allow the power of the Satan in the Antichrist to kill him. And it's interesting to me when I think of the media of today, how their dead bodies will lie in the streets for three and a half days, or for three days at least. So what does it say there? Uh, their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city. Uh, and the people will be so uh, uh, happy about that and so joyful that finally... These men who tormented us for three and a half years and many people's lives were consumed that tried to kill them with their lasers and machine guns and everything else they have and weren't able to do it. 
and there they'll lie dead. And the whole world will throw a great celebration and party. Now you have to stop and think, as I see that, I see the fact that perhaps that suggests they traveled around the world. And that's why I think they, 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 they're going to get around in three and a half years time. But there they'll lay their dead body in the streets of Jerusalem being killed by the Antichrist. And all this celebration and people giving gifts to each other and celebrating this whole thing in a major way. And then after three days and a half, these men will stand up on their feet. And they thought, and it's just interesting to me, I just have to think a little along this line. You know, why don't they put them in graves? Why don't they bury them? Well, when they buried Jesus, you know, then they say somebody came and stole the bodies. We're not going to bury them. We're going to put them here and put our cameras, keep our cameras right on them. And that's exactly what God wanted and put the cameras right on them for three days and nights to make sure they stay dead. And then they'll stand up on their feet with the whole world in modern media having been able to see their death, their dead bodies be part of the party and the celebration and then having them get up on their feet. And great fear. Here these men are alive again. But then the cameras were also, apparently as I see it, uh, they that dwell on the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts one to another. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwell in the earth. After three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. They stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven, saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Their enemies were able to see them go. A great voice that they probably will hear saying, Come up hither, look at the witness of this whole thing concerning God, concerning the power of God, and the testimony which these men spoke of, and how they called for fathers to turn their hearts to their children and children to their fathers. And all these things that they will say. And uh, their enemies beheld them as they go up. Now, um, I think I'll read the rest of this just to show you the aftermath of this whole thing. The second woe is past in verse 14. And behold, the third woe cometh quickly. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is showing the apparent end of the Antichrist's reign at this time. The four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art, which wast, and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. He's going to get the upper hand 
We have that prophesied in the New Testament and other places. He is going to reign. He's going to subdue all enemies under his feet. The Antichrist will have his spurt of rule for a short time and then come to his bitter end. And then 18 is a very interesting verse that I want to close with, uh, 18 and 19. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, showing that that's beginning, just beginning to be poured out here, I believe. And the time of the dead that they should be judged, Revelation chapter 20. And that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Judgment, justice will come to the earth. Even though we don't have it today, and we grieve at the what happened to uh, the Sasha girl out there in New Mexico, or Linda Stoltzfus, and many other things taking place in our time, uh, there are cities being burned with fire and breaking in the banks and robbing everything and looting and going on, and not no not even much justice being given to the individuals doing it, and some of the governors even refusing to call help in, but just allowing it to take place. Our hearts grieve over that. Truly, as the scripture says, justice is falling in the streets, and equity cannot enter. That's the day and we where we're at. But here we are, and judgment is coming. Everything will be uh, uh, taken care of, Straighten out uh, justice and judgment. Uh, the wrath of God is going to be poured out now as the details are given in various point, parts of the book of Revelation. Uh, there will be a distribution of gifts and rewards to the prophets and to the saints. And that's why it's so important that we stay where we're at, being a saint of God, obedient to him. And we have nothing to worry about. Whether they kill us or whether we live through some of this, uh, whatever may take place. Uh, and they, he will destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. Which shows the wrath of God uh, in just a few short words there, uh, of which other chapters give much more uh, detail to that. So anyway, this is it's, it's kind of a, uh, an encouragement to me, a blessing to me as I consider the anarchy and the lawlessness that is going on in our land and the increase of violence and the persecution of Christians already bad around the world, not here yet, but beginning here. A very negative attitude concerning Christianity and in politics and uh, all the verses being torn down out of the courthouses and other places and just uh, so much uh, anarchy against the truth, against Christianity. And, and the colleges and universities uh, teaching all kinds of things that are negative to Christianity. 
So here we are in this minority. And the importance we have to believe the record that God has given concerning these things. And take it to heart. And turn the heart of our uh, our hearts to our children. And our children's hearts teach them to honor uh, the elders and the fathers and, and so on. And uh, and not be partaking of this great curse of uh, of uh, wickedness and violence that is overcoming so many. And we all know that even among uh, our own plain people, individuals go off here and go off there and join that crowd. And uh, like these two boys have done in Lancaster County, uh, and uh, and now uh, must reap the consequences of their deeds, whatever that's going to be. But uh, I still I'm very glad that we have the degree of justice that we still have in our court system, although it's beginning to beginning to wane. We see that happening, and criminals are getting by with a lot. So may we encourage our hearts. By that, whether you uh, make it uh, uh, part of you, uh, your faith or persuasion to look and expect Elijah the prophet and whoever his companion will be to come back again in our lifetime or not, it really doesn't matter. We have had our John the Baptist. We've had the word of God uh, and many other things that have testified and preached to us. And I thank God many times in our morning devotions for the privilege that I had to uh, hear the gospel in my time and respond to it. Uh, I just uh, want to give you a little brief uh, here in the end. I just happened to think of this. I didn't uh, preach on this when I was at home. But some of the alternative views have been so far out. Imagine some of them thinking that the two witnesses are uh, the word and the spirit. And, uh, and how difficult it is to mesh that, uh, fulfillment in them being killed for three and a half days and, uh, and also for them, uh, uh, killing uh, those who oppose them. And it just doesn't fit in my, my mind. But I've heard this over the years of my Christian walk and I think it, uh, it makes a lot more sense just to have the literal, uh, uh, fulfillment of it as is prophesied in Zechariah, in Malachi, prophesied in Zechariah on the, the two olive branches and prophesied in other places and by Jesus also in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And, uh, and then in Revelation given the detail that is given to us in chapter 11. So may God bless you here as a congregation, uh, at Oasis. We are glad for you, we love you, and just uh, often think about you as a congregation here, how all that the uh, struggles that you may have gone through like we did also, and are come out and uh, have a plural ministry and eldership, we, uh, we want to bless you this morning and encourage you. You keep the faith and keep loyal and expect the coming of the Lord in uh, in in due time. God bless you.